We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear friend, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me again today. In the previous two programs, we looked at why Jesus was persecuted. Today we conclude with part three of Jesus more than a martyr. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 11, that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now, why would that be the case? It's obvious that the leaders were envious of Jesus' popularity. They were envious of the power and authority of his teachings and his words. They hated his miracles and the influence he had over the people. And they were driven to get rid of him because of their envy. They were envious of his understanding of scripture and they hated that he would not bow to their religious traditions and laws. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus was particularly targeted by the religious academics for two things, his Sabbath observance and his claim to be divine. Jesus did not keep the Sabbath like the Jews did. They kept the Sabbath according to their holy tradition. This had led them to make over 500 extra Sabbath laws. Their relationship to God and the God of the Sabbath was not based on what God can do, but what they and what man can do. Instead of love, it was based on ritual and dry formalism. Judaism turned into a man-altered religion. Jesus kept the Sabbath as God had intended it. It was based on a submission to God and His law of love, and this was motivated by love. We read in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 and verse 8 that Jesus said that their traditions did not add anything to the law of God or their connection to Him. In fact, it undermined it. And He says, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you will do. Then he said to them, All too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. Can you imagine that the people who claim to be the people of God would rather keep their religious traditions than the commandments of God? Was God's law deficient so that it needed man's help to improve it somehow? Was there something man could add to it? Now the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I mean, do men have the authority to criticize and condemn others who don't follow their extra-biblical laws and traditions? Does anyone have the right to speak evil of or to persecute people who will not accept their man-made religious laws and holy traditions as the rule of faith? 
James chapter 4 verse 11 says the following. It says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, that is the law of God, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Please note, there is only one lawgiver. The inference is obvious. The lawgiver is God alone. If someone thinks to usurp the authority that belongs to God alone by making religious laws and setting himself up as a religious lawmaker, just like the Jews of old, does he not think to set himself up as an equal to God? The Bible says there's only one lawgiver. Surely there can't be two. If someone dared to do this, would they not end up placing themselves in opposition to God? If any person or organization demanded religious observance and submission to their authority, are they not making themselves equal to God? Does the Bible not say, you shall have no other gods before me? God alone is God. He alone is the creator. There is none equal to him. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25 and 26 says, To whom then will you liken me? It's obvious that God is speaking. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. God as the Creator has no equal. He alone is the lawgiver and is to be obeyed and worshipped. The Bible prophesies of a power that would try to usurp God's authority. He would think to change God's law and will enforce obedience to His laws through persecution. We find the biblical evidence for this in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 where it talks about this little horn antichrist power and it says, He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He will be a persecuting power and think to change times and laws. This power thinks to change God's times and laws and persecute those who obey God and do not obey Him. While the Antichrist is persecuting God's people, God will judge him. And we read in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 26, it says, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take his, that is the Antichrist, dominion away, to consume and to destroy it until the end. According to the Gospel of John, the other issue Jesus was particularly targeted for was his claim to divinity. The religious leaders disputed the divinity of Christ. On one of these occasions, they tried to stone Jesus for saying that God was his Father. And we read in John chapter 10, verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They would not accept the divinity of Christ. They would not surrender their prejudice, which stemmed from their unrepentant hearts. These two issues, the authority of God and extra-biblical Sabbath laws, 
will bring about the persecution of God's saints. The one has to do with holy tradition and man-made Sabbath laws. The other is about to whom we will render religious obedience. If our worship is directed to someone else, God ends up taking second place. Will you and I answer the call to revere God and give Him glory and worship Him as the Creator? Will we honor the Lord's Day as the holy memorial of creation? One of the most intriguing facts of this story is that the opponents of Jesus were found within the faith community. The high priest and many of the religious leaders were highly regarded by the people. They had significant authority and were considered as the oracles of God. Because of their influence, the masses went along with their holy traditions. It was not only their influence, but their ecclesiastical authority that people feared at all levels of society. I mean, John chapter 12, verse 42 tells us that even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They were fearful they would lose membership in their church of their day. When your job, your influence and relationship with your community is being threatened, many will back down from their convictions, follow the popular route and comply with man-made rules of that particular religion. Now, there is nothing wrong with tradition per se, so we're not knocking tradition in a sense, but we are when it is pitted against God's holy law and God's word. If tradition is complementary and does not make itself equal or superior to God's law, then by all means go ahead and have your traditions. It is a sad historic fact that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. However, there is good news for you and me because in the very next verse in John chapter 1 verse 12 we read the following. It says as many as received Jesus to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus was arrested at night, away from the crowds. Have you ever wondered why at night? There was the strange reciprocal fear among the people and the religious leaders. The people, in most instances, would not openly acknowledge Jesus because they feared the religious leaders. The leaders, however, could tell by the crowds that came to listen to Jesus that he was very popular. Unbeknownst to the people, the religious leaders feared that they would lose their influence over the people if they arrested him during one of his discourses or while he was healing the sick or performing miracles. Luke chapter 20 verse 19 tells us that the chief priests and scribes sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people. So they chose to work in secret. These people found themselves an unlikely ally, one who was an inner circle member of Jesus' team. Judas was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was one of the twelve. Jesus called this man who betrayed him by an interesting name. He called him the son of perdition, as written down in John chapter 17 and verse 12. But the Bible also calls the Antichrist the son of perdition as well. There are only two in the whole Bible called by this name. 
Dear friends, the Antichrist, like Judas, is not an external betrayer of Christ, but he is an inner circle betrayer. Like Judas, he comes from within the faith community. He betrays Christ not by a violent overthrowing or by a punch, but as a subtle imposter from within its own ranks and with a kiss. We read concerning the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It said, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the second coming of Christ will not come unless the falling away comes first. The word falling away is apostasia, which is the word apostasy. An apostasy has to come first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Both the sons of perdition betray Christ and will betray Christ. The desire of the Jewish leaders was to arrest Jesus away from the crowds. Reading from Luke chapter 22 from verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So Judas on that Passover evening led the temple guards and officers to Jesus' usual place of retirement. When the mob arrived at Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, we read in Mark chapter 14 and verse 48, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily in your temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and then Jesus is arrested. He is first taken to Annas, the retired high priest and the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And then Caiaphas also, after that, questions Jesus about his doctrines. And Jesus says to him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temples where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. This is also the place where that officer of the high priest ends up striking Jesus on the face. And this is also the place where Peter, another one of Jesus' close disciples, ends up denying him. After Jesus appeared before Annas and Caiaphas, the proceedings were suspended until daybreak. Remember, he, Jesus was captured and arrested in the, in the middle of the night. And we read in Luke chapter 22 and verse 63 that during his time before the day dawn, so during this time, the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, this is verse 64 now of Luke 22, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy! Who is the one who struck you? Then Jesus was arraigned before the Sanhedrin. This was a farce of a trial. Jesus knew the intentions of the Sanhedrin. We read the questioning of Jesus and his reply in Luke chapter 22 from verse 67. They say to him, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I ask you, you will by no means answer me. 
or let me go. Jesus knew that it was futile for him to rely on whatever he said to get him released because there was no intention on their part whatsoever to release him or to find whether he was innocent or guilty. In their minds, they wanted to just get rid of him. And in verse 70 of the same chapter, the Sanhedrin asked Jesus, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now that accusation of blasphemy would not actually wash with the Roman governor. Listen to their modified accusation when they actually finally take Jesus before Pilate. They do not accuse him of calling himself the Son of God. And reading from verse 2 of Luke 23, we, we see the following. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Jesus certainly was not perverting the nation. They twisted Jesus' words and accused him of things that he had not even said or done. Jesus also never forbade anyone to pay taxes to Caesar. When people want to get rid of a person, they will find anything, even the smallest of things to accuse them of. They will fabricate stories to make an innocent person guilty. Beware of those who have apparent good reputations because it is not, and I emphasize, this is not beyond their capability or their capacity to lie when they have an agenda to get rid of someone. Coming back to their blatant lie in saying that Jesus forbade to pay taxes to Caesar. The opposite, in fact, was true. We can read in Matthew chapter 22 from verse 15 to about verse 21. It says, when the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. So they wanted to try and catch Jesus out with his own words. And verse 16 says, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image is on the inscription? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Pilate knew that Jesus was brought to him for trial and execution because of the envy of the leaders. In Luke chapter 23 from verse 6, we read the following. When Pilate heard that Jesus worked in Galilee, he asked if Jesus was a Galilean. And verse 7 says, As soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. From verse 9, Herod questioned Jesus and Jesus did not answer him. From verse 10, we see that the chief priests and scribes were vehemently accusing Jesus. And then reading from verse 11, Then Herod, with his men of war, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. 
Now, why was Barabbas released instead of Jesus? To elaborate on the story, we read further in Matthew chapter 27 from verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, there was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Reading from verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor asked and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Now, what was the legal opinion regarding the accusations heaped against Jesus? Reading from Luke chapter 23 and verse 13, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and rulers and the people, and said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death had been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Verse 17, For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. Now Luke chapter 23 verse 18 tells us the following, And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Barabbas was a rebel and a murderer. But you may say, really? Would they rather have a rebel leader and a murderer over Jesus to be released? It was clear that Jesus was innocent. Herod thought he was innocent. Pilate said he was innocent. Pilate's wife had had a, had a dream where she told her husband that I suffered many things during the night for, for, for this man. Do not have anything to do with the blood of this innocent man. Now, in John chapter 18, verse 38, Jesus declared innocent by Pilate the first time. John chapter 19 verse 4, Pilate declares Jesus innocent the second time. John chapter 19 verse 6, Pilate declares Jesus innocent the third time. And in John chapter 19 verse 12, Pilate tries to release Jesus. The Jews manipulate Pilate using his own fears and the Jews cry out, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. The Jewish leaders not only denied Jesus, but went a step further and divorced themselves totally from God as their sovereign. John chapter 19 verse 15, we read where they say, We have no king but Caesar. Pilate said that he was innocent of Jesus' blood. And in Matthew chapter 27 verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just 
person. You see to it. Now, the Jews say something that they came to regret later. They accept full liability for the blood and the death of Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 25 and 26. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the powerful preaching of the apostles, the Sanhedrin imprisoned the apostles and said to them in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in Jesus' name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The persecution and mockery of Jesus was intense. It was void of any human compassion. Scourged and beaten further by the Roman soldiers, Jesus was finally crucified. There was no compassion for Jesus. He was mocked and derided even while hanging on the cross. It says in Mark chapter 15 verse 29, And those who passed by, those who walked past the cross, passed by blaspheming him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! So you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. The way we feel towards God by nature was demonstrated at Jesus' trial and crucifixion. This was a most agonizing experience for Jesus. We read in one of the Messianic Psalms, in Psalm 69 and verse 20, where it says, Reproach has broken my heart. We can actually look into the heart and the mind of Jesus here in the Psalm. And it says, I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gore for my food, and for my first they gave me vinegar to drink. Our natural state is one of hostility towards God. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 tells us, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor indeed can it do so. And that is in the NIV. Jesus drained the cup of the world's sin to its last bitter sip. And as John chapter 19 verse 28 to 30 states, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Dear listener, thank you for joining me today on Souls Under the Altar. I look forward to catching up with you next time again when I have Voice of the Martyrs CEO as special guest within the studio. Until then, God be with you. 
Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.